Client diversity is a challenge that Ethereum community is willing to overcome. To help users know more about Ethereum's EL and CL clients available to run a node, ECH brings the Know Your Client series. Welcome to the March special P-Penny episode 77. I am Pooja Ranjan and with me is talented Ethereum developer, Andrew Ashman, to talk about the Erigan client and Igor Mandrigin from the team. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. As per the official documentation, Erigan is an implementation of Ethereum on the efficiency frontier, written in Go. Andrew has been on our show earlier to talk about EIP 3607, the client implementation, yellow paper changes with respect to the proposal in episode 49. Check out the link in the description below. We are looking forward to learning more about the client and its progression towards the proof of stake world in this episode. May we kick off with a brief introduction for our new listeners, Igor and Andrew. Yeah, so my name is Andrew and I've been part of the Aragon team since 2019 and I've been working on Aragon. We also have a system project, uh, Silkworm, written in C++, and I've been working on that as well. Yeah, my name is Igor. I also started working on Aragon in the second half of 2019. I looked up my first commit, actually, <laughs> to, to find this information. Right now, I'm also helping Aragon a little bit and also having my own little startup that's running nodes and whatnot. So I think some questions could be quite relevant to me. So... Aragon was started as TurboGas, I think back in 2018 by Alexey Akhunov. And his main focus was on more efficiency, especially with regards to the database layout. He believed, and well, that is still our belief, that a lot of gains in the Ethereum space can be obtained from optimizing the database layout rather than the EVM execution, which is also very important, of course, but what its database layout is key. And we are still, we still haven't finished this process. We have greatly refactored, optimized our database layout, but we are still working on further improvements. Yeah, and I would add a little bit that there are three probably distinctive things that Aragon does differently from other clients that I can mention. So the first is, of course, the database layout that Andrew already mentioned. The second is the stage sync architecture when the sync, it doesn't sync the same way as others. So instead of it splits it into like formal stages and processes data in bulk. And the third one is the modular architecture. That's way more akin to how ETH2 or Beacon Chain clients are written when you have like separate, let's say, validator client, separate wallet, separate beacon node. So in our case, we have the whole architecture that's called Thorax. I think it's still called like this. When we have a separate downloader, separate sentry, separate RPC daemon and whatnot. So those are the kind of a differences. And Silkworm and Akula are actually re-implementation of the same architecture in different languages, basically. And we have a cute mascot, Aragon the Otter. <laughs> That's really cute. You briefly mentioned about Akula. I'm curious, like I heard that is a Rust implementation. Yes, is a Rust implementation. Its main developer is Artyom Borotnikov, who used to be a team lead at Open Ethereum. So we have three projects. Aragon is our 
flagship project uh, written in Go, and which is the most uh, complete and mature project of the three. And we also have in C++ and Akula in Rust. Silkworm and Akula uh, are still not as mature as Aragon, both in Akula and Silkworm. They started as greenfield projects from scratch. They have the Apache license. They might make them a better suit for commercial applications. And they should be also easier to understand because the code base is new and doesn't contain a lot of legacy features. And both Silkworm and Akula should be ultimately should be faster than Aragon because unlike Go, there is no garbage collector. So there is no that overhead in, in C and Rust. Yeah, I would also say that Aragon, as Andrew mentioned, it still contains a lot of traces of us figuring things out. And usually Akula and Silkworm, they follow when we already figured out how to do things the most efficient way. So usually it takes a couple of iterations on top of Aragon and then it comes to those, yeah. One curious question here. If I understand correct, Aragon is currently not supporting the mining version of Ethereum. What is there for Akula and the Silkworm? So we in Aragon, there was an experimental support of ETH mining, but without any GPU mining support. But with the merge, with the transition to a proof of stake, Aragon will fully support block building. And right now it also supports my click mining. And it also supports ETH mining, but it's not practical because there is no GPU acceleration. But after the merge, yeah, Aragon will be a fully-fledged uh, in terms of block building as well. And as to Silkworm and Akula, I know there is no mining support in Silkworm yet and probably not in Akula either, mm, but that's something that we should add at some point. Yeah, I think it's also historically transaction pool, which is important component of any mining thing was the last thing we had around to just remembering that Aragon started as a very small team. So we focused and the majority of clients uh, that run nodes, they don't really mine things. So we focused on sort of the 80% 80 of the things that people actually need. And then we, we had to put aside mining for a bit of a longer time. And again, with the merge coming right now, it's more of a question of getting transactions from the pool and putting them into right order in the block and don't have to solve the hash puzzles anymore. So that makes things a bit simpler. Also, I would like to add that with this transaction pool separation in Aragon, it's actually what Igor mentioned that in Aragon, we try to separate big components and transaction pool is one such component. And with this separation, it potentially allows us to protect our nodes against malicious transactions. So for instance, it finds an, a weakness in, in the gas schedule and creates a transaction which is relatively cheap in gas terms, but is very computationally expensive. And uh, if we separate our transaction pool, then it can filter out such hazardous transactions. That is awesome. Just a follow up on that. I understand this is currently not supporting and it started as a small team, but if we look into the current picture of the demographic of client diversity here, Aragon actually stands on the second position 
And after Open Ethereum, when it is like not supporting any further upgrade, do you think the version of Akula may be helpful to get more users adding to the Aragon community? I think the reason why, at least we, like as an old runner, and I used Open Ethereum always was not because it's written in Rust, but because it has tracing APIs that are fast, and that thing is more or less fully supported. I think it's fully supported in Aragon already, and it will be supported, of course, in the forks. So it doesn't really matter which one will you run later on. If you really, really want a Rust client, then probably, yes, it's great to, to wait for a cooler. But if you want a tracing uh, today, you can might as well just run Aragon and yeah, you'll have the same open Ethereum tracing. We ended up even like having some, I remember we used to have some flags to even repeat some bugs from open Ethereum tracing. So they're like 100% compatible, even though it's maybe not totally correct traces. So it's plug and play change. So yeah, it's a, one of the important features that basically will carry the flag from open Ethereum, I think for the like infrastructure players or like big DeFi apps or something like that. That is nice to know. And I think that in both Akula and Silkram, interesting, very interesting pieces of technology in the long run because they can be, they can achieve ultimately better performance and they can either be used say for block builders where you want to like ultimate performance or potentially this is another long-term vision. They potentially can be used on mobile because again, they will be lighter on, on your battery compared to like garbage collector overhead. But right now, I would say both Silkworm and Akula are for those power users who want to see them not as a finished product, but as pieces of great technology that they can tweak and maybe go deep and yeah, tweak that technology to their needs. Yeah, basically, like I would say, that's already like running quite a few nodes with even Aragon, it gets quite a bit of more like requests per second from a node on like typical ETH calls for any bigger DeFi application than other nodes that we can compare with. And I think we, we test it with Silk RPC, it's even faster than that. Of course, like for instance, I don't usually run it in production just because it's not yet time to, to probably run it fully in production. But like we are really looking forward to also run it because then basically it makes you even cheaper to run your like DeFi service or something on top of these nodes because you just need less of them with most throughput. And I'd like also to tell who are the our currently who are the users of Aragon and what's its current strength? Our strength number one is of course full archive nodes because the disk footprint is around two terabytes. While if you want a full archive node with guess that's maybe 10, 10 terabytes. So that's our strength number one. And our weakness is that we only support sync from Genesis. So we execute all the transactions from Genesis and it takes about uh, two, three days. It gets your full archive node, 
but we want a faster sync time for users who don't want a full archive node. And that's part of our future releases. We call them Aragon 2, but it will be not a single upgrade, but a series of upgrades, including fundamental database and data access re-architecture. And we already started moving in, in this Aragon 2 series of upgrades. We introduced a torrent sync of blocks of all Aragon blocks, and we want to utilize the torrent technology for our sync more. The idea is that with the torrent, you can, again, it's this modularization of concerns. And if your sync time is low, then with torrent, you can spawn a new seeder without maybe a need of, of a, a full node. So you can it gives you another degree of freedom in terms of balancing your performance. That's with uh, different modularized components. You can uh, have a number of dev P2P centuries that are served by a single, what we call Aragon core. That's the point uh, I wanted to make. Awesome. That's quite an interesting introduction around the client and all the options, those are available for users. Because this is merge special, so let's move towards upgrade and merge related questions. Before we jump into merge, I know Gray Glacier, which is expected uh, tomorrow or day after tomorrow in a couple of days. I wonder how do you guys see different client releases in between the merge and other upcoming upgrades? Uh, to answer your questions about question about uh, releases, R right now we have two flavors of Aragon releases. We have all the more stable Aragon beta releases that were created before the Aragon 2 re-architecture work started. So these are more stable, but they are not going to be merge compatible. So you can use them for Gray Glacier. And so for Gray Glacier, you have two options. You can download, you can use our very latest alpha release, which contains the beginning of Aragon 2 refactorings, including, including torrenting. Or you can use the beta release, which is called, I think, 2000, I'll check, but it contains the deprecated suffix in it. But for the merge, all the work has been done in our development branch. So both the work on Aragon to architecture improvements and the merge happened in, in that de development branch, which is the source of our alpha releases. Yeah, so basically the old the version is, by the way, 2022-0405 deprecated. And it basically ends after the great glacier is done. So when the merge happens, it won't be supported anymore. And the only version that goes and supports the merge will be so-called Aragon 2, currently in the alpha channel. Yeah, And uh, yeah, that's what we run, for instance, on the, for the testnet validators already for the devnet, for Shadow 4, and things like that. Taking a step back, coming to the point that Andrew shared about the Aragon version 2.0, is it something that can be expected post-March? Yes, we have a blog. It's aragon.substack.com. And Alexi has written a, a number of posts there describing how Aragon 2 will be rolled out. There is his post from the 12th of April Aragon 2, three, three upgrades. So the first 
kind of Aragon 2.1 will happen with the merge. It introduces the torrent infrastructure for downloading static files, historic, historical Ethereum blocks. And then the second and third upgrade, they will happen after the merge. Yeah, so and basically so we already are in the process of stabilizing the current version, yeah, 2.1 or 2.0 if you want, of the Aragon 2. So it will, yeah, will come with the merge. Like you can already test it. It's just, yeah, it's an al we, we are trying to be quite strict about labeling things. So we're labeling it alpha because we know that there are some known issues within it. So as soon as we fix these things, that's going to also probably go to into the beta and then it's probably will be as stable as the previous beta. And then, and we are planning to do this before the merge actually happens on mainnet. So everybody who runs Aragon nodes will be, will need to just upgrade the nodes and that's it basically. I have a follow-up question here. We mentioned about stabilizing the current version of Aragon. Are there any specific instruction or specific points to be noted by node operators while they are upgrading their nodes for a merge or even after merge someone wants to join? Are there any special instructions for them? Well, I mean, apart from that, because we, we did it like quite a bit. So now you have to run two nodes in parallel. That's what comes with it. And they need to share like an encryption key. But that's true for any execution plus consensus layer client. Apart from that, I didn't notice much difference between running the Aragon 1 node versus Aragon 2 node in the merge configuration. The, with a couple of caveats, that's of course the Aragon 2 is a little bit less stable right now. Like there are a couple of things that needs to be fixed, I think. And also that as soon as it switches to like the, the after post merge, it's a bit slower to sync than before that because we cannot, or right now, I don't think like it's probably should be supported that the checkpoint sync, but right now it just syncs block by block. So it's a bit inefficient in terms of catching up with the network, but then you still get the same performance, same good performance on the RPC side, at least I didn't notice any difference between the, in the performance of RPCs of old Aragon and new Aragon under load. So they both behave quite nicely. So yeah, it's not that much of a difference. One, one thing that you need to note is that between, if you run the old Aragon, like the beta version and the currently deprecated version, the databases are not compatible. So you will need to resync the the nodes, like, but what I do, like as a, let's say a node operator, I usually sync one node, do a snapshot of the drive and then just clone it <laughs> to make multiple nodes. So it's usually not a problem. And this thing is usually automated in anybody who runs like more than three to four nodes. And if you just run three to four, you can just resync them from scratch. And with BitTorrent sync, it also makes it a bit faster on the downloading data side. And of course, it also prepares us as Aragon. What was the AP that we shouldn't like the historical blocks will not be served over the DevP2P anymore. So we already have kind of a side channel to serve them in off, off chain basically. So we should be pretty much very quickly compliant with that if it goes through. And I'd like to add that for this sync speed, we definitely want to profile it and optimize it on Aragon on our side, but I think in general, the problem is that on the CL side, unless you enable checkpoint sync, then the consensus layer will feed the execution layer block by block. 
And it will be slow for both Aragon, Geth, Bezo, whatnot. I've been talking, I've been, I've raised this issue uh, at OcoDev. And I think for the mainnet, it makes perfect sense to enable checkpoint sync on the CL side by default. Otherwise, without checkpoint sync, uh, it will be prohibitively slow. Oh, I almost forgot one more thing that you need to note, actually, if you're a node operator and you're switching from the old Aragon pre-merge and then the post-merge, is that right now the, we used to run RPC daemon by default as an outside process. And right now it's also built in and enabled by default to simplify the setup because so you don't have to jiggle like more containers that you need or more processes that you need. That means that if you can just, by default, you will have RPC daemon built in Aragon just like you have in Geth or other clients, but you can still run it separately, but just you need to make sure that there, you need to disable the internal one, otherwise they will conflict on ports. <laughs> so that's a small thing. That's good to know. I mean, that's a good piece of advice for node operators to maybe take care of. And I remember the conversation of checkpoint sync initiated by Mikhail. Let's see what's the decision there, if it is enabled by default then I hope it will be useful for more of the EL clients. Yeah, like we are, again, as a node operator, if we need to scale the, right now, for obstant, for instance, we want to scale more nodes, we definitely do checkpoint sync to our own neighbor nodes, because otherwise it takes, not forever to sync, even on the Repsol, it's like relatively slow. And if we want like very quickly to get like from five nodes to let's say 20, <laughs> like without checkpoint sync is going to be quite sluggish. Talking about node operators, I may be missing something here, but help me understand who are the main target users here? What kind of people should be running Aragon node? I understand it is not supporting proof of work, but it will be as good as any other client of execution layer post-merge. But so far, what was the main user base for Aragon? Well, I can answer some of this. <laughs> like Anybody who runs quite a lot of nodes gets economies of scale better, especially when executing is calls. That could be your typical infrastructure providers or Lucky Me or whoever. Also bigger DeFi players, if you've taken like about exchanges and whatnot. So they do tons of requests, like tons, like thousands and thousands of requests per second to nodes. And the reason that's with Aragon, they might have to do to have like four times or three times less nodes to, to achieve the same performance. Everybody who runs on scale, it's also, uh, I've noticed it from my experience that it's much easier or much safer to scale Aragon to some extent because of the, we have an ACID database, means that it has transactions. So it's, unless we have bugs in the Aragon code, it cannot be left in the inconsistent state. And that means if you stop the node to make a snapshot to create more, if you do, I, I do it with some, especially on some other blockchains, like Ethereum is fine, but like on some other blockchains, you need to like stop the node, wait like a minute to make sure that everything is written to disk for sure. And only then clone the drive because otherwise you will end up, the nodes will not start because it was not completely written in consistent state. With Aragon, we can just kill the node, <laughs> snapshot it and just run it. And also if somebody needs them, again, it's more for the DeFi players. Sometimes they do analytics on the chain and they need tracing of the historical data. And I think Aragon with serving archival data is so far the, the best with both like small data, smaller data snapshot, basically the footprint, sorry, like basically under two terabyte for the full archival data with tracing on. So that's also is interesting. So that's for the bigger player for the home enthusiasts. I think that's going to be 
interesting when the BitTorrent sync will become the, the bigger one because right now it still needs to re-execute all the transactions. It's still cool that I have a laptop here that I'm speaking to you from and I have a full archival Ethereum nodes on this laptop as a basically an individual. Of course, yeah, it takes a lot of space and it's not a cheap laptop configuration, but still it's a laptop. It's not something you need to buy in the server rack or something like this for the full archival thing so those are the things that come to mind oh yeah one more thing that's very important you shouldn't underestimate the pruning that we have because our pruning is uh, how to say it is deterministic how many blocks of history you keep behind and it's super important let's say again there's a little trick if you want to provide an archival node but not everybody is using archival node it's very expensive to run archival node what you do is you route request that a non-archival even if you think that is archival as, a, as an infrastructure provider you route a non-archival request to non-archival nodes and an archival request to the archival nodes but how do you know which ones are archival or not by the block number and knowing to which block our archival nodes are pruned is makes it logic very simple. So I know that, okay, I, we keep last 6,000 blocks or something like this in, in, in the chain, 6,000 history items. So if we have an RPC call that's request more than that, it goes to archival and like 99.9 requests never ask anything more than that. And they go to non-archival node. And that way we can keep, let's say 20 non-archival nodes and only one archival and still have the clients happy who want archival access because they usually want it rarely. So that's also one of the interesting things. With some other clients, when it's non-deterministic, it's very hard to figure out, like, but it's dependent on memory or something. It's very hard to figure out when to route those requests. It's just like my, <laughs> a little bit node operator inside baseball, if you want. I know generally speaking, it is recommended, like if someone is running a validator node, then they should have multiple nodes running just to have in, in case of emergency, they can switch to another client. Uh, so. For that, uh, Aragon is always there, but I was just curious. Well, moving on to testnets and uh, shadow forks that are happening with respect to the merge upgrade. My understanding is ignoring a few bugs and issues which may occur with any other client. Aragon has been one of those clients those participated in almost every testnet. Would you maybe like to talk about the performance of Aragon in the merge testnet so far and how generally speaking it is interacting with the interrupt session with the consensus layer clients? I think for, for the recent, in the recent testnets, Aragon has been doing more or less fine. We had a, an issue where we created, as a validator, we created blocks with no transactions. That, that has been fixed and we are monitoring whether it occurs in, or not, but so we are keeping a close eye on that. There was an issue in shadow forks, not in testnets like Kilno or Robston, but in shadow forks, because shadow forks are different. When the merge happens on main on the main net there will be at some point probably after the merge there will be a merge net split block and it'll fork nodes that uh, haven't enabled the transition from the rest of from like the, the, the main net but on on shadow fork the idea is that you do not do that so you have a lot of peers from the main net and you have weird issues because you don't have actually peers 
from your shadow folk and have some kind of weird failures, but they are not indicative of any real uh, test net or like uh, any uh, other main net. The one workaround for Aragon is to actually to specify aesthetic peers that from the correct shadow fork, so that you, at least you have some peers. Otherwise, the idea for shadow forks is also you don't want to filter out peers because you want to receive transactions from the mainnet. But on the other hand, all your all those peers they have a totally different worldview that they see totally different blocks and it's a bit schizophrenic right so this shadow fox issues uh yeah they are they're a bit niche yeah and speaking of like running the testnet specifically i've been running kiln validators i've been running quite a bit of uh, robston validators and so far it's been like fine again there are some bugs that are specific to Aragon that are not specific to merge that sometimes requires to restart the Aragon, but that has nothing to do if you run it with non-merge configuration on the main net, it has the same bug, so it's not non-merge specific. But other than that, again, we're monitoring right now the blocks that are like provided by those validators. So they have transactions inside. So not only the blocks are correct, not only the attestations are correct, but also they have transactions inside. And we run some kind of a... Well, currently I run, I think, to post-merge consensus layer clients, namely Teco and Nimbus, just because, again, Prism is already big, so we are trying to do a little bit more, like, niche consensus layer clients, at least I try to run them. And I just, like, I disclaimer, I used to work at Status at some point in time, so I still have some warm feeling towards the team and, <laughs> and whatnot, so <laughs> that's why Nimbus... <laughs> Uh, in particular. And so far, I had pretty good experience uh, with them. They just basically, you specify the execution engine and point, you specify the token, and then you open the ports and they work most of the time. But yeah, of course, the important part is to figure out the edge cases as well. That's why things like shadow forks are super important. Absolutely. That's the whole purpose of having all these tests. And shadow forking has been a boon, like we can do it multiple times with same configuration, just changing it, dealing with the issues that happened in the last time. So uh, if I understand correctly, the issue that Andrew was explaining just now, is that the peering issue you mentioned? And if so, did that happen for Shadow Fork 7 or had it happened earlier as well? I think it uh, probably um, it probably had happened today as well, but uh, hopefully with uh, the addition of static peers, it should be less of an issue. I understand. And the resolution is also quite handy at static nodes. It's helping in testing. That's useful. I'm talking about the status and numbers. I can understand your interest. Uh, we had a chat with a team of status and they are also like a storage efficient client. I noticed, for instance, that the CPU wise and Nimbus really has wants less resources than especially cycle. I'm, I'm not just, but just it's just if you even comparing like Lighthouse that is Rust, it's a very efficient language. Nimbus is Nimbus, very efficient language. Prism is Go, which is efficient, but still have garbage collection. So you take it through the a little bit of star in Java or what's it is it written in Kotlin or whatever, but GVM basically has even slower garbage collection. So if you see the 
like how the CPU works. Okay, it's like works first well, then garbage collection goes, then goes works first works. So we specifically play with Teco and Nimbus, the opposite <laughs> spectrum, <laughs> to, if you want, uh, of like CPU usage. But Teco, on the other hand, it's like you see that they are very targeting the enterprise users with all these fancy health checks that they have, nice summaries and the logs. So they're very easy to plug and play into if you want a Kubernetes cluster or like in, in Nomad clusters or something like this. So it's also interesting. So it is good to know Teco and Nimbus are the two common CS that is being used in combination with the Aragon. So this can be a favorite of yours. I'm just curious to understand with other client combination, the other CL client combination, the performance of Aragon is generally the same or are there any advantages of using Teco and Nimbus? Well, I also tried Prism. It worked well. It just, I thought that it's okay. It's still a majority client, so I never bothered to scale it. So we have probably one Prism to maybe 10 or more of those instances. Didn't notice much specific differences, but I didn't like, we also run Prism on the pre-merge, like Beacon Chain mainnet for the data so with Aragon as just ETH1 endpoint, not the execution layer, but just providing logs for who is the active validator basically or not. And with this, it was like rock solid as well. So I one thing that I probably need to look at, I didn't ever run Lodestar as a consensus layer. Like uh, probably, yeah, I'll need to check this configuration as well on one of the testnets to see how it behaves. But again, Lighthouse was also quite okay. Interesting. So the merge testnet, uh, it started about a year ago with Rayonism, right? I wonder, are there any incidents or stories or maybe any learning experience uh, during this entire testing period uh, till date that you would like to share with our viewers? Yes, uh, I can talk a little bit about uh, our journey to the merge. We kind of, we didn't join Rayonism and uh, Kintsugi, so we were a bit late. We joined Kiln though, and there was a couple of reasons. One reason is that in Aragon, before the merge, how we used to operate internally is that we have a single state, so a state corresponding to a certain block. And we, so we didn't have easy, quick access to multiple states corresponding to multiple blocks, but the engine and in the proof of work world, it worked fine because you occasionally can do a reorg, but to do that, you the reorgs don't happen often and you don't flip-flop typically between different sign chains. So you can still operate fine with the single state, you, which you occasionally unwind to your fork point and then apply changes uh, new blocks on your new side chain and how the engine api was designed originally before kiln is that it didn't have this the same assumptions as the proof of road proof of work world and it could send more requests it, it assumed that you can have access to pretty much a lot of states corresponding to multiple blocks simultaneously, which wasn't the case in Aragon and still isn't. That meant that we were not able to implement the 
the API easily, but Mikhail Kalinin, among others, have redesigned the engine API, make it correspond better to how all clients operated in the proof of work world and specifically to make it suitable for Aragon. So with that redesign of the engine API, we implemented it and joined Kion and later Testnets. It's still it's still not fully done yet, of course. And I've been with my colleagues, I've been looking at the tests in Hive. So you might have heard there is this website, Hive Test 2 dot is devops dot io which runs a lot of tests and right now aragon is failing like 48 out of 114 engine api tests so we are working on bringing that number down but a couple of weeks ago it was like we were failing 80 right so there is some progress it's it still takes time and uh, in general more testing so yeah we've been paying more attention to hive tests now and uh, that's very helpful that ethereum foundation have invested into this it's it's still not for me as a developer it's not as convenient because they operate via docker and uh, there is this level of indirection so it's not like unit tests that we run as part of our continuous integration it's a, an external process but on the other hand i'm very grateful to to the people who invested time and effort into writing those tests they're, they're super useful also the risk autosis and there are other tests so i would say now with the merge we are in entering this like basic blocks the fundamental blocks are more or less in place we might still do some architectural improvements maybe after the merge, but right now we are focusing more on testing and fixing all corner cases and improving the stability. And we also want to promote at some point our alpha to, to beta. Such things, they take time. And it's as a developer, you, the, the last, like you, you get, you implement 90%, but the, then the last 10% take another 90% time-wise. <laughs> yeah, the, the last bits, they take time. One more story for me, for instance, is that initially when I was preparing to just in general support merge, like the first validators and whatnot, I was thinking to of running basically both processes of the consensus layer and execution layer on a single machine somewhere in the data center or a cloud. But it turns out that like I we actually started running it and we see okay it works and then it starts fading attestations and whatnot. Then you restart it, it works, it works, it works, it starts failing attestation. And it turns out that if you don't have physically two different disks, at least disks for both consensus execution layer, both like with everyone and maybe with other uh, as well, but then those nodes are still so intensive on like disk IO. So even fast like NVMe drives are not fast enough. So the nodes are slowly getting out of sync. So they're not fast enough. So you notice them. So some attestations are fine and some come coming late. And then at some point it just blows up completely. So that was a bit of a story that we actually either needed servers with two separate NVMe disks, completely separate so they can saturate both. Or as we did, we just split them into two different machines with even slower, just normal SSDs. And it was fast enough to work then. The only problem was to share the, the token, the encryption token, but we kind of got around it by generating it outside 
of any nodes and just feeding it to both of the nodes and, and so that's worked quite okay so for especially i think this might be important for those who stake at home since they will need to run both nodes so if you right now have your validator on your intel nuke or whatever it's better to install a separate second ssd for the execution layer client to make sure that everything is as stable as possible that is highly recommended so listener if you are a staker or if you plan to become uh, ethereum staker please make sure that you are having both nodes running in parallel and of course multiple clients so far it's all about what client team have been providing to users. Now I have a question for you. What are the expectation of devs in terms of support that they can expect from community or from the foundation? Recently, we heard about EF client incentive program. Do you think those were helpful in working for the emerge? I can talk about this one a little bit. I think that's, it's basically finally that we just Finish, like we just entered the participation fully today basically so today all the validators went online for the Aragon <laughs> literally quite today so it's it's interesting I think it's a, it's a good program in terms of yeah because when you run your own nodes you don't want to lose this thing <laughs> so you kind of need to support this but I think it's just uh, it's, you know, it's a good incentivization to just fix your node and make sure that it's stable long run because I think that was a little bit of a disconnect that I noticed as a, because I'm one of the people who both run nodes as professionally and also develop nodes. So there was a little bit of a disconnect between people who build nodes and who run nodes. Again, it's getting better and better with Ethereum. But I see, for instance, other blockchains, they are really struggling that people just build the node and it works for, I know, three hours on their computer and it's fine. But then you try to run it for months and then it blows up by itself, <laughs> something like this. Yeah, right now, it's uh, I think when the client teams have to run the nodes 24-7 for the long time, and that's only a good thing for, and it makes it easier for iterators. One thing that I could ask the community, it's just a general, probably it's a general pain of, of the open source developer. If you want some feature or if you want some feature changed, like an Aragon, we had this with health checks. Like I had a pet peeve of mine. Like I developed a health check for Aragon that was good for me and for how I run nodes. And then I get a lot of complaints that it doesn't support Kubernetes. <laughs> way and I don't use Kubernetes myself, but we are open source. We are very open to requests and changes as long as they're reasonable. So if you dislike something or if you think something needs to be added, like some parameter changed or something like this, of course, first step is good if you report it in the GitHub, but then if you are able to like to contribute back to the thing because we are not selling Aragon to anybody. So it's, you can take the source code and modify it and run it and actually earn money doing that. So I think if you're making sure that, okay, your pet peeve bug is fixed by either hiring or getting some engineer who fixes it or fixing like contributing back, that would be like amazing. That's probably the best thing we can <laughs> just dream of. But of course, like even since different people run it to different configurations, just decent bug requests, uh, bug reports. Okay, I run this version on this hardware. I did that and that's what happened would be also very important. So, because we're trying our best, like we're doing a lot of things. We're doing a lot of testing here and there in different configurations, but still you might have some esoteric bug that we will never be able to even know about because we never run it on a certain like hardware with a certain limitations and so that would be like a bit of a message for me <laughs> i don't know andrew what about you 
Yeah, I totally agree with your points, and I'm very grateful to the Ethereum Foundation, who's been supporting Aragon financially. And but uh, I would like to highlight that we <laughs> that developers don't come free, so we spend a lot of money on paying our team members and yeah so it's not it's uh, the financial support from the ef uh, including the client in, in incentive program is highly appreciated absolutely i agree to both points like because this is open source we should encourage more contributors to come forward and share their thoughts share their feedbacks and probably that could be added yeah. yeah, we're trying to be really supportive, like of especially the new people who contribute uh, to Aragon, trying to be open and reasonable with code reviews and whatnot. So don't be scared as, as well, like or intimidated by, of course, the complex code base, yada, yada. But we are all people and we're all just normal people like working at Aragon. So we are very open to suggestions and uh, pull requests. And I'd like to add that people who maybe who are interested in learning more about the execution layer specifically and Ethereum in general and who are C++ or us developers, they might be interested in Silkworm or Akula because their code bases are smaller compared to Aragon's and some things might be cleaner and it might be a good learning experience in terms of you like you want like specifically to understand i don't know how precompiles work or like how some intricacies of, of execution i think you might find cleaner code there but yeah all help is in terms of nice bug reports full requests is appreciated awesome Thank you so much. These are all useful information for new developers as well as people who are experienced and they are looking forward to maybe experiment with different clients option. Those are available. Uh, well, it's time to wrap up. Thank you so much, Andrew and Igor. We appreciate you sharing insight of the client development and merge preparation. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Pooja. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah. Aragon has the second largest share of Ethereum's client distribution, which is over 8% as per Ethernodes. Yet it is far away from a decent looking percentage share of a decentralized network. My hope with the release of this episode is that it encourages new users willing to join Ethereum node running, may consider Aragon for execution client and help improve the stats of Ethereum's client diversity. And on this note, thanks to everyone watching or listening to this episode. Should you have any question, leave a comment, reach us at eCathodist Discord, check out descriptions for link to useful resources and guest Twitter to follow. Keep sharing your love with Ethereum Catherdist. Stay tuned for more on Know Your Client series. Cheers. <laughs>